0: I'm Matthew Woods, host of Leading Out of the Woods, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other
1: interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Matt J. Navo. He is the Executive Director for the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence, or CCEE is a former school system superintendent district level administrator principal and so many other educational positions as well as a special education teacher Today, we are focused on what CCEE is and uh, two specific programs the organization implements, the Intensive Assistance Model and the Community Engagement Initiative. Oh, you're going to love this talk. So much to learn. Thanks for listening. And oh, it'd be so cool before you go. Could you go to my website, stephenmoletto.com slash reviews and leave a review? It's real simple right there. You know, it's just, just go in there, click on it, uh, say a few nice words. And uh, how about five stars? What do you think? Huh? <laughs> That'd be so cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing enjoy the show.
0: It's the education podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Miletto. Teaching, learning, leading K-12. Teaching, learning, leading K-12. Teaching, learning, leading
1: K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Miletto. Matt J. Navo serves as the Executive Director for the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence, CCEE. His knowledge and expertise in systems improvement comes from over three decades of experience as a K-12 educator and leader. Matt served as the Superintendent of Sanger Unified School District. Before assuming the role of superintendent, he was a special education teacher, secondary instructor, counselor, resource teacher, junior high learning director, high school assistant principal, elementary and alternative education principal, director of special education, and area administrator. Man, you wore a lot of hats for <laughs> over d- different years. <laughs> um, prior to his current role, he served as a director of systems transformation with the special education policy and practice division, or SEPPD, at West Ed. Matt's expertise lies in aligning systems, building capacity for continuous improvement, fostering collaborative cultures and collective efficacy among teams, and establishing coherent and efficient models for districts and schools. He is the author of Collective Efficacy in a PLC at Work 2021 and Demystifying MTSS, a school and district framework for meeting students' academic and social-emotional needs. Matt received his bachelor's degree in education and his master's degree in special education from California State University, Fresno. Our focus today is uh, two initiatives. One's called Intensive Assistance Model, and the other one is the Community Engagement Initiative. Matt, welcome, and thanks for joining me, and say hi to everyone. Oh, good morning, Stephen. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you here, and uh, this is this is cool. Now, you know, one of the cool things about podcasts, by the way, is we're almost on the other side of the universe from each other. You're, you're in California and I'm in Georgia. And uh, and it's so cool that uh, we can just have, because the connection is pretty good. I'm, I'm excited about this. So <laughs> good stuff. It's, ama- it's amazing what we can do it is.
0: nowadays. <laughs> uh, and so it's, uh, it's just a joy to be able to connect with you and
1: connect with your listeners on uh, what we're doing here in California. Well, glad to have you. And uh, before we get into our talk today, let's talk about you. You recently were a superintendent mm-hmm. of a school system. What was something that you learned in that role that stays with you today? Oh, that's a
0: great question. Yeah, I, I yes, I served in Sanger Unified for 19 years and was, um, had some great leadership there and transitioned into superintendent. One of the things that stands out to me as I transitioned from the role, from those various roles that you described into the role of superintendent is how long, just how long school transformation takes and how important. The professional and personal relationships are in moving that needle uh, for school for schools and school personnel. It it is complex, and I think that in this day and age, we it seems like many of those who are crafting policy around uh, education have little patience for the amount of time it takes to actually
1: transform a school. That's, that's so powerful. (laughs) It really is. Uh, Thanks for sharing that uh, because it is something that it takes time and uh, (laughs) many, it's it's crazy.
0: It does. It does. I mean, you know, we've experienced, I had an opportunity with the national center for intensive intervention under West Ed to see and work with 29 States. And it's amazing that in all of those States, including ours in California, you deal with a myriad of, of uh, complex relationships, um, and connections with, you know, regional offices who have relationships, personal and professional with their districts. And all of those schools seem to fall into, you know, one of four quadrants in terms of their willingness and ability to actually improve. And each one of those quadrants requires a certain amount of time and a different approach. And if you haven't lived it, uh, it's difficult to to talk about it. In Sanger, we were considered one of the, uh, national recognized school turnaround um and district turnaround in the country and we were written and studied by uh stanford researchers jane talbert and uh, joan jane david and joan talbert and uh they were trying to study whether or not what we did in sanger could be replicated across other schools and the answer for that was yes and the answer to that was no so the complexity around how schools change is is really something that stood stayed with me as a superintendent and has ta- I brought, brought to me, uh, brought with me to these other experiences.
1: That's, that's awesome. Cause yeah, you're so right. Just the other day I was talking with somebody about, you know, there's it. We're, we're working with children <laughs> and mm-hmm. no matter what their ages, um, there's different, um, everything f- from baggage to experiences, to whatever their life, whatever their world is. And, uh, they're mm-hmm. not widgets, you know, they're, um, mm-hmm. As you as you're working nope. with them and stuff like that, we have things that we can do to our practice and stuff like that that can improve. But we also got to figure out that population that's coming to us, and there's there's some unique that's challenges right. there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, we have a saying here in California: if you've seen one county office, you've seen one county office. I I think the same is the same for most schools. Uh, if you've seen one school, you've seen one school. They're not they're not all the same, uh, and and it requires a degree of strategy. Uh, for those who are trying to help and support them.
1: So much so, so much so. Well, uh, all right, so let's let's talk about you as a teacher. If you were able to go mm-hmm. back in time to the day before you first started teaching, what is some advice you would give you about working with your students? if that makes sense. Right. Oh my gosh. That's a great question.
0: Yeah. So I came from the day back in uh, 1992, I started teaching. I actually, at that particular time in California, you could walk into a classroom with nothing more than 124 units and a BA. Uh, I actually started with an internship. I think I was taking home $900 a month uh, for being a teacher at that particular time, because my, um, the agreement I had with Fresno state at that time, uh, the internship, um, salary was helping to pay for that. It was a great opportunity. I mean, I would have not probably entered the profession had it not been that easy to do so. And I learned a lot on the job that uh, had I had had the opportunity and taken advantage of the opportunity to actually uh, expand my knowledge base around teaching and learning, it could have served me well. But I had great master teachers and I had great support. But I'll tell you, there's something that stood out to me a great deal when I got into that profession, uh, as I look back. And it was what I missed as a young teacher going into that was how important creating a sense of belonging for kids is when it comes to helping them really move out of the fixed mindsets that they come to school with. I was so focused on trying to do my lessons plans, trying to make sure I was achieving the they, uh test benchmarks and um, my assessments were well written and I was on pace with my scope and sequence and uh, you know it, just all the things that a new teacher does, um, I thought I was creating enough space uh, to create a sense of belonging. but when I as I've learned more about how important it is to for, for students to sense a degree of warmth from a teacher, as well as a, as a well as a degree of understanding that they understand their circumstances. Um, I would have been a much better teacher it would have taken me less time to do the things that I
1: learned the hard way. Thanks for sharing that. That's it's so powerful. Cause it's, I, I understand what you're talking about. Cause I, I'm back in the same time frame. Actually, I'm a little earlier. I'm, I was 87 my first year. And, uh, yeah. um, the, uh, and it's just funny because I learned something rather quickly because at first I was all about wanting to make, I was a history teacher. Um, mm-hmm. and I say history cause it was not, I, I specifically was focused on history, U S and world. Um, and I, I, didn't want to be a social studies teacher and not that there's anything wrong with that, by the way, whoever's listening. <laughs> um, but the point is, is that, uh, um, in the beginning, I wanted to make history come alive, be fun, you know, get them excited. And one of the things I learned right away is that, uh, there's more to teaching than the content, and uh, it's you know working with the kids and, nice. and trying to help them, uh, you know, navigate whatever is they're trying to navigate along with your content and uh, to help move them forward. So, but uh, it's it's cool stuff what you're talking about. <laughs> I just I mean, uh, think about it. That's so important, Stephen. I mean, that's a that's the first
0: thing I learned. Right, and when I look back, is boy, I was focused on the outcomes. Um, because of the pressures that teachers feel around student achievement. But I'll tell you what, uh, I, the second thing I learned was if kids aren't learning, it's not their fault. It's mine as a teacher. And I had a, I had a great leader who said, hey, just remember, Matt, uh, the parents don't keep the good ones at home. They're sending the best they have to us every day. I love that. So blaming their circumstances and situations that are outside of your control aren't isn't going to help you. And I remember that stuck with me, right? It stuck with me because it's so, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the myriad of things that uh, prevent students from coming with and presenting them their best selves, uh, poverty, and crime, and, you know, neglect. But I had to remember that the parents weren't keeping their good ones at home. They were, they're sending the best they have every day. And it's my job to make sure that they have a sense of belonging and they're learning. Uh, and if uh, I'm not achieving those two things, it's not their fault. So that was hard because it was so quick back in the day, Stephen, you probably remember we taught it, they just didn't learn it. Right. <laughs> and that was, that was sometimes the mantra
1: uh, that, that, that mantra didn't serve me well as a young teacher. Yeah, I was, I, I was, uh, I, I ex- experienced that on my own as well as saw, mm-hmm. um, when I became a teacher, but. Yeah, that was something that, uh, from the very beginning, that that was not going to be my planet. and uh, But because you, you really hate that when, because uh, I was somebody who benefited from a teacher realizing that I wasn't getting something, you know, that I wasn't really understanding, mm-hmm. but I was a good kid and moving, you know, knew how to play the game right so that, you know, I wouldn't mm-hmm. get the attention of the teacher. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I had this whole thing planned out. I had this, where I would... Uh, Sit in a certain area in the room. Tell my friends, don't talk to me when the teacher's talking. And I'd sit there and look at the teacher and look like it, and I'm at least taking notes. <laughs> and then, you know, That's right. <laughs> you know, and uh, and I had, she figured out that uh, there was an area that I was struggling in, and uh, uh, she wouldn't play that game. So it was nice because <laughs> it helped. That's right. Kind of smack me into reality. There, uh, she didn't actually smack me. That's <laughs> not my point. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we all need a little bit of help. Once in a while.
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Good stuff. All right. So let's talk about your current role. You're the executive director for the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence, CCEE. Tell us about the collaborative. What's its purpose and what's its why? Sure.
0: Sure. Sure. This is really a great, um, I love the way you set this up because, uh, you know, the CCEE, as we call it, has not been without conflict since it was created in 2013-14. Uh, by then, Governor Brown and the state legislature and the state board with the idea that we would partner um, as with state-lead agencies to help deliver on California's promise of providing a quality, quality equality, equitable education for every student. So as uh, the CCEE, we are charged by statute to advise and assist uh, local LEAs and uh, we call those local educational agencies, and that encompasses all schools and all what we would call regional county offices uh, in accomplishing their LCAP goals. And we were, we exist really to make local control uh, a reality by working alongside and coming versus coming in and telling schools how to do work and telling county offices how to do work. Our primary function was to be different than the current state departments because the current state departments function a certain way by necessity. Because of the federal government requirements for many uh, many educational initiatives, the state departments are created to really monitor uh, and 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 ensure compliance with federal policy there was no one in the state of california that um, was helping with the innovation side of the work um, really having a vision to help transform public education so every student can be is inspired and prepared to thrive there was no one that was doing that work and so our state lead leaders went to Ontario and observed the secretariat there, and came back with an idea that we needed to do something different. If we were gonna help um, improve outcomes, we needed an agency that could be flexible and nimble, adaptive, innovative, transformative, and come in with a different lens uh, when it comes to the application of helping county offices who are primary, um, primary customers, is the county offices to work partner with them uh, to support the schools and teachers and students who we are trying to impact.
1: That's awesome. The uh, And so, you know, one of the things that uh, um, I got to make sure I ask you before we get, cause we're going to talk about some, of the, some of what you got going on initiatives wise before we do that. So what do you do as the director? What's, what's your, I mean, what tell us a little <laughs> bit about what your day, your day is like, or uh, um, uh, what you like doing. It's,
0: that's a, that's a that's a great question too so being in the director we've had three directors. Um, I'm the third of the CCEE we've had a, a former superintendent of Long Beach uh, unified Carl Cohn who a lot of educators know he's, he's well well um, has a great reputation well renowned across the country uh, then we had um, uh, Tom Armelino, who was a former uh, county office superintendent Alex shasta who was just incredible around uh teaching and learning and he came in and uh, each of those uh, directors had served for about three years i had the privilege of serving on the board as the representative for the cce the cc has five board members it has a uh, basically a representative for teachers a representative it has the uh, state superintendent on the board it has a county office representative um it then it also has a public uh, superintendent super representative, and I had actually served on the CCE board twice. Uh, when I was on the state board, I was assigned as the liaison to the CCEE again. And Sue Burr, who was assigned, she was the vice chair of the state board of education, was the chair for since the inception of the CCE. Much of what I do was different than what I thought I would do, so. I find ways, my job, as I would sum it up, is to find ways to transform schools by building capacity within the statewide system of support through the partnerships with our local county offices that will enhance uh, professional learning, technical assistance, um, strategic thinking, connecting across the, the, the state, and enhancing innovation. So, I serve as uh, an executive director who is trying to cultivate a culture within the statewide system of support that uh, allows people to build the capacity through the innovative means to assist schools, trying to shift our, our lens from the compliance related issues that we have to do and foster a culture of collaboration to actually get the work done. It sounds Easy, but when you're talking about coordinating across one of the most complex states in the country, we have 58 county offices uh, that cover 58 different regions that serve over 2,000 LEAs, LEAs uh, like LA Unified, who have over 650,000 students, to um, some of our districts up north that have uh, 10 students. And not all of those districts. Um, are built to do the same kinds of work that the state designates needs to be done. They have to find different ways to deliver on some of the initiatives. And it's our job to really help find those ways to bridge the gap uh, between the ideas and implementation so that we're ultimately serving students in a, you know, flexible means, uh, but a tightly adhered to goal.
1: That's awesome. That's, you know, and, and never in a million years, would I think that's easy <laughs> talking about no. challenges. It, I just from the, um, the, the differences between one end of the state to the very other end of the state and everything in between. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can only imagine, uh, what type of, uh, you know, on top of that, I mean, one of the words you use is you're, you're seeking collaboration and, uh, you know, that's a, <laughs> that would be an interesting challenge just alone, um, just with places that are a little closer to each other as opposed to the, the entire state. So cool. Yes, um, absolutely. Very nice. Uh, all right, so we're going to talk about a couple of uh, the uh, different programs that uh, you have. There's quite a few um, that you use to do what you do, and um, one of them, going to talk about is this i mean let's let's take a little dive into how this unique statewide agency that you oversee um in california is collaborating with school leaders to transform education i mean uh let's talk about the intensive assistance model what is that and what do you do sure
0: the intensive so we have two ways work comes to us at the california collaborative Uh, one way is through legislation so our legislative agencies the assembly and the senate governor and the state board will collaborate with the Department of Finance, and they'll determine and prioritize a particular um, initiative through legislation, and they might tag the CCEE as the responsible party for delivering that or one of several partners to deliver that. We also have what we were created to do, which is our statutory um, responsibility, which is to advise and assist LEAs in accomplishing their LCAP goals. Um, This initiative, the intensive assistance model, falls under uh, both of those. So one, we have a legislative responsibility to provide direct technical assistance to districts who are not achieving um, the results they need. The county offices will make a referral to us to say, hey, we need more help. The CCE then does an assessment of whether or not they how best to support. And then we provide um, direct technical assistance to those districts. And that is, uh, if you were thinking on a scale of, uh, you know, uh, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3, Tier 1 being the least amount of support to Tier 3, the intensive, the districts that we're serving right now we would describe as being between 2 and 3. And Tier 3, as as it's represented currently, would be a referral to the State Department of Ed for um, oversight of that district. So we're a uh, Kind of a last-ditch opportunity to really support districts before we run out of opportunities for how we can improve. And the intensive assistance model was created a really, really um, interesting story, but and it's much longer than you probably have time for here. But basically, what the intensive assistance model does is when I served at the uh, both in my previous uh, districts and in the national center, we had uh, several states who were talking about some really unique work that they were doing to help uh, transform schools. we met with one of those uh, states. Um, We sat down with them and we tried to find out more about what they were doing as part of our work. And in this state, they connected us to a school and I'll never forget it. It was a teacher by the name of Darla Sampley. She was a fifth and sixth grade social studies teacher at Spradling Elementary. And we met with her. And I asked her, you know, tell me about this work that you're doing, this this new innovative approach to transforming schools. You're a teacher. How is it affecting you? She goes on to describe this guiding coalition that she's working in. And guiding coalition, Stephen, is a, is, a, is language that we used in, in my former district. It was predicated on the idea that you, you in order to improve teaching and learning, you have to have a foundation of rich professional collaboration amongst teachers. You have to create time, intentionally create time, where teachers can come together and answer four specific questions around student learning. The first one being, what do we want students to know and be able to do? They have to be able to have time. And what we were finding in our former place was teachers, many districts have prep time carved into the day for teachers to prepare prepare for the upcoming day. And they need that lesson planning materials uh, articulation with others. But they didn't have carved out was this specific time to focus on just student learning. And in, in our former experience, we had a guiding coalition. This was like the group of teachers that were helping to navigate the how teachers collaborate and what they collaborate about. How do they prioritize standards? How do they deconstruct those standards in a way that helps them achieve goals in a meaningful way how do they craft together common formative assessments how do they set up their scope and sequence so that the students that the essential standards that students need to know they can they can acquire those that learning so that they're prepared for the next grade well darla describes this and i asked her "Well, that sounds really familiar can you tell me what they do and she says our job as a guiding coalition and granted this is a in a school that did, had very little collaboration she's and i'm paraphrasing here is to ensure that equitable teaching practices are used in every classroom we have. And so I remember asking her, well, this is amazing. Can you tell me who's leading this work? And she said, well, we are. And I said, well, I understand that. But which administrator is actually leading this work? So that I could speak to them a little bit more about how they're crafting this conversation. She said, there is no administrator. It's us as teachers. And that dawned on me that they are were doing something innovative that we had experienced in my former district that actually promoted school transformation. So the intensive assistance model is that we are building in right now, we have a pilot group of schools, uh, five districts and eight schools um, that are focused on building the collaborative structures through intensive coaching and support and so each of these schools that that had signed up and said we want to do this work we want to learn how to collaborate we want our teachers to be able to focus on teaching and learning have signed assurances that they would do certain things to make sure that they prioritize for these teachers at these schools collaborative conversations around student learning these schools are getting a coach for math ela eld leadership and professional learning communities they're getting over 130 days of coaching over the next three years, boots on the ground, elbow to elbow with professionals, experts in those fields to help craft for them. In these schools is that these teachers are um, not only going to achieve higher results in student performance, but they have cultivated a culture that allows them to uh, deconstruct the challenges in their school when it comes to mental health, behavioral health uh, or, or instructional effect, uh, efficacy, they are um, articulating to us that this is the model, this is what we needed. The professional learning that we've engaged, this prey and spray kind of professional learning where we go and we sit for a full day, we miss our kids, We Then have to leave that professional learning and figure out how to implement. That's not the ticket for us. The ticket is elbow to elbow coaching. And this is an intensive depth of investment for us as a state because what our goal is is to create these schools will become national model schools for collaboration and these teachers will become national leaders for collaboration. And we will use these schools and these teachers and their knowledge to help share that with other schools. So you're building out a a pyramid of learning and peer-to-peer learning that begins to take over and helps transform schools. We have learned that schools transform not because somebody comes in and says, this is how you do the work. Schools transform because teachers encourage one another and say, this is how I did the work.
1: I like that a lot. That's awesome. Because that's that's so right on the money with uh, um, the the power of the teachers as they – they encourage each other and uh, focus on, on, on what matters. And that's, Mm -hmm. ah, that's powerful. Good stuff. I, I, all right. So, um, you know, one of the things that uh, another program that I want to get you to talk about is community, the community engagement initiative. But before you do that, can you talk about a little bit about what it looks like the intensive assistant model? I mean, what, what does that look like when you're, Um, working with them or with the teams or however it's going, I mean, what would someone notice?
0: So they would notice immediately when they come in to a school in this model, they would know that they're noticed that the principal, first and foremost, is at the table during the professional learning with teachers. So their leadership team sits and deconstruct st- standards. Their, their principals and leadership sit with those teams and grapple with as much about learning that as the teachers do. That's a that's a difference than what you would see in other schools. Oftentimes, what you will see in other uh, school sites or people who are not oriented in this way, school systems that aren't oriented in this way. The teachers are doing learning, but the principal's out on the peripheral. They're, they're watching or they're observing or they're monitoring They're not in the work. These these principals and leaders are in the work. You would hear uh, language around a guiding coalition, not a leadership team. A guiding coalition would be a a group of teachers focused on improvement of learning, not a leadership team that's focused on managing learning. So you would see those differences. You would see teachers sitting together and not talking about all uh, what the next week's. field trip looks like. You'd be hearing teachers talking and bringing data to a conversation that says, here's what we said our students needed to be able to learn and do. Here are the results uh, from our common assessments. Now, what are we gonna do for those that already learned it? And what are we gonna do for those that didn't learn it? They would have those two questions embedded in. So you would see a different uh, orientation around how they collaborate and most importantly, you would see collective efficacy at a level that you would not see. I'll give you uh, an example. In schools that are not in the intensive assistance model, in schools that are working in a traditional sense, you you see a belabored and tired educator. In schools in the intensive assistance model, you see a belabored and tired educator who has hope, excitement, and anticipation that they're actually going to move this needle. And you see a level of vulnerability and a willingness to say, we thought we were doing this work well, we aren't, and we weren't, and now we're starting to. It's a different way of talking about the work that when leaders come into these schools, they'd be amazed and they would leave there saying, how do I get my teachers to talk this way? How do I get my teachers to get excited about teaching and learning in this way? And our first uh, answer to them is, you got you to gotta get off the peripheral, off the edge of the inside, and you got to get in the work. You got to get in the alleys. There's a picture I heard uh, came out of LA Times once. It was a, a note for leaders, and it said, The only way you're going to improve uh, your organization is to get off the edge of the inside. And what that means is like when most people are flying into a Las Vegas or a San Francisco, In the evening, if if, or driving in for that matter, most of us uh, have seen the lights and the beauty and the excitement, and you get the energy and the euphoria of coming in. That's called being on the edge of the inside, and then you get in, and you see the alleys, and you see some poverty, and you see the dirt, and you realize there's a lot more here. There's a lot to do here. It's not as it's not as pretty as it looked. Well, they were saying to to leaders, you got to get off the edge of the inside. You got to get in in the the nilks and crannies with teachers. You gotta start learning to teach again. And that's what the difference you would see in these schools.
1: That's awesome. That's powerful. It's it's uh you give me goosebumps, man.
0: <laughs> I, this- uh, it gets me excited too because there's an empowerment with these teachers that with these educators that are experiencing that. Here's the here's the kicker though, Steve how do states do this work is really challenging. How do states lead this work is really challenging. You know, especially with the intensive coaching that's required.
1: I can imagine. I, You know, one of the things that I would think is a challenge that you have to contend with is the uh, the teacher, the team member, just waiting to be, you know, kind of like the thought that, yeah, you want me to participate and then you're going to, you know, push me aside and then tell me how to do it right. You know, or um I don't know if that makes sense or not, but the the thought that uh they're just waiting for you to like pull the pull the branch out from underneath and the plug on the on the uh, the sink or whatever and say, uh um you know, now now we're really gonna step in and tell you. We, that was just a you know, getting you to Yeah, you know, just okay. kind of messing with you a little oh, bit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean how many times did this two shall pass, right? I mean, right. how many right. times We were incredibly dysfunctional in in my former district prior to our ongoing transformation. I'll tell you what, there wasn't a a federal program monitoring. There wasn't a compliance document. There wasn't a state oversight that our teachers couldn't figure out how to make anything they wanted work. Because they were so used to people coming in and telling them, this is how you, oh, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we'll do that. We can produce that plan. We can rewrite that plan for you. We can articulate the objectives. The bottom line was they got so used to just having people come in and saying and hammering them about what they're not doing that they got incredibly skilled at, uh, creating a a hallucination or an illusion. And those people would leave. Okay, great. You're on the right track. And nothing really was changing as a result of any of that.
1: Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Um, well, cool stuff. This is, uh, this is exciting what you're talking about. This is, uh, I love it. So I want to I shift gears on you and I want to ask you about an, another program, which is called the Community Engagement Initiative. I mean, tell us what this is all about.
0: So the community engagement initiative was created by the legislature in 2018 it had a the the following purposes it really was about building capacity in communities and schools to have difficult conversations with each other that would both trust and focus on improving outcomes for pupils i mean that that was the number one goal the the second was identifying effective models for community engagement so how did how did districts come into space with their communities when they don't all speak the same language, when they don't understand the complexity of school funding, how do they create metrics to help uh, people in the community evaluate whether or not things are working? And the second was to develop these peer-to-peer connections and partnerships between districts uh, and schools and counties to be able to do this work. And And the last one was just, how do we scale it up? Those four really was, how do you scale these kinds of um, conversations up. And San Bernardino County was the leader of uh, CEI, we call it CEI 1.0. And then last year, the legislature passed $100 million for community engagement 2.0. And San Diego County is now leading that work along with some partner agencies, our family and schools and have always been uh, partners in this work. And we work to facilitate that conversation and ensure that the deliverables are being met that the legislature articulated articulated as the aspirational goals for this work. So, you know, so many school districts have ideas. They have complex. There's a you know this Stephen the, the the complexity of the funding of a school district is is it's it's hard hard for people even in the school district to understand the myriad of ways funding comes, how it can be spent, how you uh, try to predict the budget. It's harder harder for us a single mother who has three kids who doesn't speak the, the language well, but wants to be involved to understand that. So this, this, this initiative is about how do we bridge that gap for our community so they can be more involved.
1: That's awesome. I love it. Uh, and you're so right. Trying to understand it as a professional who's in the, in the world going, Hmm. Okay. Now let me see. I, I can't combine this money with that money and I got to take care of this. And I got to take care of that. I got to come up with some other funds. What other funds do I have? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, That's right. interesting. So what a great, what a great uh, focus this program has. So, so what's it look like? Uh, give me an e- example of, you know, someone walking in there and they're, they're going to experience what the school's doing differently. If they're part of this program, sure. What what's it look like?
0: Well, if they walked into um, a facilitated group that uh, of our community engagement districts be, they would see a an, an intense facilitation being done by parents and educators Together. So, so often, the first orientation is oftentimes when you have a community conversation, uh, you often see the community being talked at by the school leaders or, or teachers who are trying to deliver some sense of understanding around what um, the goal is or the um, the initiative is in the district. In this particular case, you would see legwork and, and work being done in the background that has created a situation where parents are as much a part of that leadership and as much a part of leading that discussion and helping parents get through it as it would be uh, school educators and leaders. So you would see that orientation quite significantly different. You would see uh, a difference in the way that schools uh, in districts uh, creating access for their communities. So we, you know, when you come into a traditional sense, you would have a community that gets pulled together with a school district because they're having a open house back to school night. And they would call those community engagement initiatives. Those are things that we do to engage the community in our work. And the CEI, we're trying to move beyond that those those are what we would call passive engagement Uh, when a community is invited to be part of an uh, of an experience and they are sitting and getting and receiving some information that's passive we're trying to move beyond that in the community engagement you would see much more active engagement where every time that a community comes together in these districts they're actively participating in some way, whether the school is trying to acquire information from them so that they can uh, have a better sense as to how to support them, or whether uh, the community is as much a part of the planning and the development and the delivery of the coordinated efforts as they are. And that's what we're trying to do. So you would see a difference, distinct difference between the passive engagement of those who are not in CEI and those districts and communities who are in CEI, a much more active way of engaging with one another. Uh, and you would you would not experience a community partnership with a school or district that doesn't have some form of active participation from parents. You would very rarely see them come and sit and get like you would a traditional back to school night, Stephen. You know, you'd have parents come and uh, they get uh, they they come and they meet their teachers and the teachers talk to them. And what's right. the first thing they usually talk to them about?
1: The rules. Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice, nice welcoming they, topic, uh, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's the rules. Here's the rules to my class. Here's what we do. We're trying to move beyond that. You know, parents don't need to come and, yes, they can read that if they have a question about that. But let's talk about how you as a teacher are going to um, support their students when they don't learn and how parents can be involved and let's get some parents up there who are in the CEI could can talk a little bit about how parents who want to access the system can better access the system. That's what we want to do. So that's what CEI is trying to do. That was the vision of the legislature and the governor. And that's what we're trying to deliver.
1: That's awesome. I love it. Very powerful. And, and and they're just part of a a huge iceberg. You've got here of, of programs that you do. So how, how does, how, how does it, you know, a, a, a school or a school system or community? I mean, how how are you, in, you know, does, do they engage you? Do do they engage you, or is some other method that says you're now going to work with this program, this school over here? I mean, how does that happen? Yeah, we we we, we
0: don't turn anybody away. So uh, you know, our our team, I have a fantastic team at uh, CCEE. We have you know th- over thirty people across the state. Uh, who are experts in the field, working with schools. And usually they come through the county offices. So the county offices will identify, hey, we have a school that's in need of unique supports and services. But we also have schools that come to us directly and say, how do I get involved in CEI? How can I be a part of that? We usually launch through our listserv a number of ways. um, And we give people information so that they can be involved. The easiest thing is to go to our website at uh, cce-ca.org, and they can look at each of our centers within the CCEE. They can find out um, uh, who the staff, who the team is, which initiatives they lead. Um, Stephen Sterling Mitchell, David Tostin are one of the leaders for CEI, and they can easily access them and say, you know, can I learn more uh about what you're doing especially if there are states listening to this podcast or state leaders and they're wanting to know more about okay how did california organize this that's where they would go and we have tons of information we can share
1: very cool so so if you know as we're wrapping up here one of the things that uh, and i know you said how they could find out more information about that but how about if they want to reach out to you or to to know specifically how your group works
0: we're, we're, we're open. Um, again, they can get to us through the website. There's a listserv. They can also get to me at mnavo at cce-ca.org. Um, so my email's there that I get a lot of emails from people across the state saying, you know, I heard about this. Can you direct me? Sometimes we don't even oversee the initiative. Sometimes we're trying to plug them into the statewide system of support, particularly around students with disabilities. As you know, Stephen, there are many, many districts and there's a teacher shortage around, serving students with disabilities. There are LEAs that are struggling to serve students with disabilities. There are states that are trying to figure out how to meet the needs of students with disabilities. Um, You know our California has a myriad of supports for districts to help meet the needs of students with disabilities and oftentimes they don't have a way to get there so they come to us. We plug them and partner them in. That's where our connector, our ability to be connector uh, comes in handy. So they can get a hold of me and they can get a hold of me through the website uh, cce-ca.org or me at mnavo at cc caorg
1: Awesome. And I'll have that information in the show notes so it makes it easy for them to uh, reach out to you. So, good stuff. So, uh, so Matt, before we go, i got last two questions. There's some questions that I'd like to ask my guests. And and the first one goes like this. You know, when so much is happening and needing to be done and life is extremely demanding, what stops you from quitting or giving up?
0: Hmm. That's such a great question, Stephen. I, I really appreciate the thoughtfulness of your questions to get to the core of, uh, who you, who the people are that are on these calls with you, these podcasts with you. And for me, um, I'm reminded often of my mother and I was not a kid who did well in school. I struggled, um, early on. And I was in a school that uh, was challenged with a number of poverty stricken issues. And I was running with some kids that weren't, um, well, let's just say we fed off of our bad behavior at times. And I struggled to read. And I remember my mother taking hours to try and get me to read. Um, And we would, and she would just pull me to the table and help me with sight words. And at that particular time, Stephen, you probably remember this, but we would organize our reading groups by unique names, teachers did. Um, They had them in groups. And if you were the Blue Jays, you got to the table and you knew the Blue Jays were reading at uh, above grade level just by nature of the name right, right. and uh, you know i was in the blackbirds and we were not reading at grade level and uh so i remember how that felt and it wasn't that teachers and educators crafted a system to intentionally um create a stigma or a situation for students that was the best we knew how to do at that particular time and my mom didn't give up I had a teacher that didn't give up. And so I struggle when I grapple with, well, wow, this is not gonna work. We're never gonna fix the system. We're never gonna fix the complexity of the state. The legislature's never gonna stop passing bills. Uh, we had over 600 education bills in our state this year. But, you know, We're never gonna do this, never gonna do that. And, and in spite of all of that, when it gets down to the boots on the ground, it, all of, none of that matters. All that matters is that the educators that are in front of kids don't give up on them. And if I can do something that can help foster and create space that gives them a little bit more, then it's worth it.
1: Love it. That is so awesome. I, you know, that's uh, <laughs> give me chills again, man. This is good. I love this. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. Last question I got for you, Matt. It goes like this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you?
0: Well, uh, you know, the teacher that comes to mind is Miss Shirley Cox. She was my fifth grade teacher at Sierra Vista Elementary in Clovis. And And I didn't get an opportunity to thank her. But I remember this. The only thing I was really good at at that particular age was sports. You know, like a lot of young young kids, Stephen, that are struggling to read, you, you gravitate to some form of athletic, it creates a sense of belonging for you. And uh, at that particular time, I did. You know, my mother was a, thank God she married a wonderful, uh, I had a wonderful stepfather, but early on, we were on our own. And I remember um, having a football coach and coaches, uh, I was fairly good, and so I was out there. Uh, Shirley Cox, I'll never forget it. She said to me, um, "You're not going to practice until you learn to read." <laughs> and I remember my coaches coming in and going, "Hey, he needs to be out." I was, you know, playing quarterback time. He needs to be out there. Uh, when is this going to be done? She said, "When he learns to read." Nice. And oh, God, it was painful. <laughs> I I resented that so much. Uh, but you know what? She she probably saved me. So I would thank her.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, uh, Matt, thank you so much for talking with me today. What an awesome focus the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence CCEE has. And and these cool models that you shared with me, the the intensive assistant model and the community engagement in initiative are difference makers. I love it. Thank you so much. Wish you the best in all you hey, do.
0: You're welcome. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. I appreciate you. And uh, thank you for giving us some space on your podcast.
1: Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcast by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmuleto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.